This morning, you find us two weeks into a, a series that we do every year called Who We Are. And it's a time for us as a church to sort of re-articulate. For many of you, it'll be a re-articulation. Uh, re-articulate the things that are most important. Like what makes Fullerton free, Fullerton free. And we started last week in the absolute unequivocal starting place for a conversation like that. Last week, we started by saying at the center of everything we do and everything we are is the Lord Jesus and the revelation of the Lord Jesus. And we talked last week about what it looks like to be hungry for Jesus to reveal himself to us and the different ways in which that happened. As we finished up that conversation last week in sort of the last third of my message, there was a really strong emphasis and it was important on the fact that uh, Christ isn't revealed to us by how hard we try, right? It's not about our striving. It's not one of those things where you pull yourself up by your bootstraps or you just sort of think you can, think you can like the little engine that could and you sort of, uh, you sort of grow in the image of Christ. No, that growth is a thing that God not only wants for us, but that growth is a thing that God himself does in us. And so we finished last week in John 15 where he says, hey, that fruit won't be produced in your life unless you abide in me. It's about being hungry to know Christ and to walk with Christ, to be intentional in that, but it's actually his work in us that produces that fruit. Now we pick up this morning kind of where we left off and that is saying that as we draw near to Christ and as he remains the center of our lives, he does grow us and his intention is that not only that we would know him more, but that we would be conformed to his image. So when I talk about the idea of Jesus being revealed in us, I would guess that for some of you, the first place your mind goes is the idea that we were destined before time to be conformed to the image of Jesus. So maybe your, verse, your, your mind goes to a verse like Romans 8.29. Romans 8.29 sort of famously says, for those whom he foreknew, that's God, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, right? You might think of a verse like that and you say, yeah, when I, when I put my faith in Christ, then I start on this journey where I'm increasingly becoming more like Jesus by his power at work in me. Hopefully I look more like Jesus tomorrow than I did yesterday and hopefully I look a lot more like Jesus in 10 years than I did 10 years ago, right? That we're in this individual pathway according to God's purpose and his power to see Jesus manifested in us in a visible way that other people could experience and see. Maybe you think of a passage like 1 Corinthians 15, 48 and 49 that talks about the fact that we used to be in the image of Adam, the man of dust or the man of sin, but now we are made in the image of the new man, the Lord Jesus, dead and resurrected. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, 48, as was the man of dust, so also are those who were of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. That's because that's God's desire for us. It's God's working in us to increasingly and over time conform us to his image. That's one of the things that's central to who we are as a church. But something I don't want you to miss is that this uh, revelation of Jesus that happens in us is not solely an individual pursuit. It is true that God wants to conform each and every one of us into the image of Jesus, but there is something also about the way in which God wants to reveal Jesus not only in us individually, but the way God wants to reveal Jesus in us corporately, in our community. There's something about the way that Jesus is put on display uniquely in the body, united even in the midst of our diversity. So when we say we want Jesus revealed in us, yes, Darren McWater should look more like Jesus over time. But there's also a truth in scripture which says that Fullerton Free 
as a collective and as a community, should also be putting God on display. Verses like 2 Corinthians chapter 3.18, where it says, We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That as we pursue Christ, we all, right? That's a, that's a plural deal there, that all of us are being conformed to his image in togetherness. Similarly, 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter talks about us like stones in a spiritual house. He says this in 1 Peter 2, 5. You yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And similarly, then Paul says in Ephesians 2, verses 19 and following, so then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So in ancient times, right, the people of God would go to a temple. There was like a physical place or a tabernacle. It was like a tent, right? And they would go there, and that's where the Spirit of God would dwell. What Ephesians 2 tells us is that we don't have a temple like that anymore. The temple of God is not this physical building. The temple of God is both me individually and the fact that God indwells his people, so you individually but there's something beautiful in this in that he's building us in unity and in togetherness into a place where the Spirit of God resides corporately and is on display. Right? That is one of the central things that we are aiming at. Now again, this is God's work. It's a thing that God does. It's not the kind of thing that we just decide to do and then we do it. We have to lean into God and be dependent on him to make us more like him. But there has to be intention on our part, a hunger to be the people of God who are putting Jesus on display independently and corporately. And to that end, and to the end of God's purpose, it says in Ephesians 4, we studied this not too long ago, so it might be familiar, but Ephesians 4.11 tells us the way in which God sets the table for that growth to happen. It says in Ephesians 4.11, he, again, that's God, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, craftiness, and deceitful schemes, but rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What Ephesians 4 tells us is that God gives each of us different gifts, so none of us are wired exactly the same way. We bring unique experiences and unique backgrounds and unique emotions and perspectives that God has appointed certain people to specific roles because of their giftedness, but that all of those appointments, and we all have them, all of those appointments are for the sake of the body being joined together in unity and being fit together that we would grow up into the image of Christ, which it says in Ephesians 4 is the image of love, right? That we would be growing together and individually, right? In this particular church, there are a group of people 
who are working to serve. When I think about the body of Christ joined together and working properly, we got all kinds of teams of people, volunteer leaders, uh, core group leaders, and people who work in the parking garage, and people that are leading adult fellowships and small groups. We got all kinds of people that are serving. Many of them are right here in this room. And those various teams are then in turn being served by a group of staff that work on our team. We got incredible staff at this church, but Specifically this morning, I want to introduce to you our senior leaders. When I think about God appointing and equipping shepherds and leaders for uh, equipping the body for works of service, right? Uh, we've got a senior leadership team, and I've actually asked them to take some of this teaching and divide it up. So I'm going to invite them to come out, and I'll introduce to you the senior leadership team. Yeah. I was just going to say to you, I'm friends with all these people, and I'm not sure whether or not I should still say that. No, it is... You guys look better than you ever look, right? This is like a, I was, uh, we, we, it's kind of funny. We talked about this plan, this team teaching plan uh, several months ago while Billy was on sabbatical. Jeff happened to be out of town for that particular week when we devised the plan. So when they got back, we just gave them the shirt and they were like, what have we gotten ourselves into? The weirdest part is that I will wear this shirt regularly going on and they will probably all be getting rid of theirs after the service today. We have this great team. We work together to see Christ revealed in us. And what I've asked the team to do this morning is just kind of, it's a tall order, but to take five minutes apiece, not to tell you the various departments that they serve or even to recruit volunteers, although we always kind of need people to serve with us and want people to serve with us, but rather to talk to you about the philosophy of the way in which God is setting the table in our lives and then by extension, the way these leaders are setting the table in our church for Christ to be revealed both in us individually and in us corporately. We're going to start this morning with Scott Ballon. Scott, come and share. Hey, church. Hey. It is an absolute pleasure to lead this area of ministry with our young generation. And um, honestly, I came here myself as a seventh grade student. I walked through the doors, and it did not take long at all for God to take advantage of the opportunity to use the people that he had already been working in their lives to impact my life for Christ. And so very quickly, I had leaders in my life and other students who were, I was doing life alongside of and slowly but surely God continued to help me to understand more of who he was and to shape me into the man that I am now and also to draw me towards ministry, which is crazy. And so to be able to lead this team was a great gift for me. But honestly, it's the relational impact over that period of time that made a huge impact in my journey of faith and in my discipleship process. And so I want to share with you that for us in the students and kids world, the, the philosophy that we lean heavy on is this idea that we believe the most effective way to reach young people is to reach them with the gospel pulled through the context of relationship. We think it's all about relationship. It's about people doing life on life with each other, being able to share the journey of the way that God has been working in and through them, and then being able to reproduce that in the lives of the people they get an opportunity to shepherd and encourage and walk the journey with. It's really interesting to see how that really has made a massive impact in my journey and now, after being here all these years, I've been able to see it reproduced over and over and even to see students who are influenced and encouraged because of the way that Christ worked through leaders and then them come and reciprocate it and become leaders themselves. And it's just a glorious picture. And honestly, it's just a reflection of what Christ did with the disciples, right? He poured intentionally into them. He gave them personal time so that they would know him and understand him and follow him and trust their lives to him so that then they would go and take that and live out Christ in the environments that he called them to. And that's exactly what our dream is in our church here. Our hope is that we would have leaders who are growing in their faith, who are compelled by love, um, who deeply want to inspire and encourage 
passion and excitement for Jesus in the lives of those who follow after them. And then the hope in that again is that the students would then turn and just reciprocate that, just bring it back again and again and again. We see the way that Jesus did this so intentionally, and then we also see the massive impact that came as a result. Even in the life of the Apostle Paul, we get to watch how he pours into young leaders, guys like Timothy, and actually in in one of the times when he's looking at Timothy and he's starting to send him to other churches, he shares these words with him in 1 Timothy 4.12. He says this, he says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, and in faith, and in purity. And I just think, wow, what a beautiful picture. If our young people, because of the example set for them, were now reflecting Christ in the way that they talked to each other, about each other, about others, in the way that they lived, in their conduct every day, the way that they put Christ on display in their life, in their love, in the way they cared for other people, maybe those who are deeply in need, maybe those who are unlovable, that they would love people well, in their faith, that they would take risks, that they would live out the things that God's called them to and be willing to be a light in the environments that he places them, and then in their purity in their character, in their integrity, that they would reflect Christ in those ways is such a dream for us. We get an opportunity to see that on display here at our church, that reflection of the same thing that Christ did with the disciples. We see it in our preschool with teachers who invest, in our youth ministry, in junior junior high and high school, with young adults who lead faithfully in there and invest in the hearts and lives of students. And then in the hearts and lives of our students that are being invested, they turn around and invest in our young kids. And it's this beautiful picture of what we want to see, that trickle down of faith happen over time. We're big believers that students and kids all the way through the journey are on this trajectory of faith that slowly but surely they're learning to grow deeper in their knowledge and understanding of who Christ is and how he's influencing and impacting their lives. And our hope and dream is that at every little piece along the way that they would just see growth and development and develop more courage and more faith and that Christ would just continue to reveal himself over and over and over again to them. So we would just beg that you would pray, continue to pray with us for this young generation, that Christ would grab a hold of their hearts, that through the investment of people relationally, they would get a picture of Jesus and that they would then turn and live that faith out to the people they get to influence in the years to come. Thanks. I'm going to invite up Liz. She's going to share about worship and creative arts. Hey, everybody. Good morning. Um, My name is Liz. I oversee worship ministries, and you can see that my hair grows very fast. Um, uh, Just wanted to tell you a little bit about um, our ministries. So I oversee tech and worship and arts. And um, as ministry, we really just want to help God really make his way into your life and make his way into your heart. So we just want to be helpers in that. But we know that there's a lot of different kinds of helping. There's the helping where a three-year-old is helping you bake a cake, and then Gordon Ramsay is helping you bake a cake. So uh, what kind of helpers are we? Well, if you look at Genesis 2.18, it says, Then the Lord said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And of course, this is talking about Eve. But the thing that's interesting about that word, helper, is the word azer. 
and that word um, means like a powerful helping, like an impactful helping. And so um, the, the ways that you see that in the Bible, there's 20 diff 22 different places where it shows up. Two for Eve, four for battle, where people are being helped in battle. And then 16 times it's referenced as a reference to God. So two of those that are pretty common, Deuteronomy 33, 29, blessed are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. He is your shield and your helper and your glorious sword. And then in Psalms 121, we know this a lot, one and two, I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So this is a very um, powerful helping. This is a helping where we want to help move um, you forward and just have life change in you. The way that we do that is um, our three different teams try and do it in three different ways. Our tech team, we try and help you by being invisible. If you never notice any feedback, if the lyrics are always right, if the scriptures are always right, if you're in the commons doing something and that is all working, then tech has done their job well. We have helped you how we want to help you. The worship team, of course, you're going to see us. We're up here. And so not only do we do music, but we also have the hosts and have all of the service planning. And so in that, we just want to disappear. We know that you're going to see us, but as the service goes, we just want to fade into the background and we just want God to be first and we want you to interact with God and be there. And then last, our arts is... We want you to see us. <laughs> Not necessarily us as people, but we want you to see our art. We want you to look at the things we create, and we hope that God will do something in you that challenges you or makes you think of him in a new way. So we really just want to be helpers in God um, transforming in you. Um, one of the things that we also really care about is that we're making sure that we're saying and doing what God wants us to say and do. And so we look back to Exodus 4, 11 and 12. Then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. And so we really think of this as God gives us the gifts we have, and then we want him to do what he wants to do with those gifts. And so we just want the Lord to speak through our um, graphics and the things that we put up. We want the Lord to speak through the songs that we sing. We want the Lord to speak through the art that we create, and we wanna make sure that it's him speaking for us. Um, for the worship team, multiple times in the Bible, when they're going to war, the worship team goes first, the music goes first, and then the warriors. And we really think that's part of what we're doing. We're helping you to fight to focus, to move your week away from where you are right now, and to really think about what you're doing and what God is saying to you in here. For our storytellers and our arts ministry, we really think that God is a storyteller. He created a whole book for you to read, to learn about him. And then Jesus uses stories all over the place, parables left and right, to really affect people's lives. And as the art department, um, that's one of the things we focus on is storytelling. So really, our whole purpose in our ministry is to be the kind of mighty helpers who can let God speak to you in the way he wants to speak to you. I'm going to bring up Mitch. I'm not going to bring up. Mitch is going to bring up Mitch and talk about care. Good morning, friends. My name's Mitch. Hi. Well, I was, wasn't expecting you guys to say hi. Uh, my name's Mitch. I get the privilege of serving our care ministry here at, at Fullerton Free. 
And I, I just want to share something with you that was just maybe formational and just to who I am as a person. And I hope that uh, if you get the privilege of serving alongside me, that sounded weird to say that, uh, if we get the privilege of serving together, that maybe you might see this, this kind of lived out. Uh, so if you have your Bible, actually turn to Colossians chapter 4. Um, and I want to ask you to underline uh, verse 5. Colossians 4 verse 5. But in Colossians 4, verse 5, it says, Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Now, I probably have read these verses multiple times throughout my life, but a few years ago, a friend invited me to share at his church, and these were the verses that he gave me uh, to teach on. And so I got to spend a little bit more time dissecting the text, spending some time in the original language. And what I discovered here is that when Paul says to make the best use of the time, he isn't just talking about like, hey, like, make the best use of the time, or it isn't like a, a flippant order or a flippant charge, but rather he's saying something so much more there. In the original language, when you translate that, what he's actually saying is, is buy up all the time. But not even just those words, there's, there's actually a, a sense or a, a feeling that comes with saying that, that there's, there's an urgency to when he says buy up all of, all of this time. And when I think of that, when I hear Paul saying, buy up all of the time, I'm reminded of, um, gosh, years ago, um, my friends and I used to go to sample sales in Santa Ana. Did anybody here used to go to sample sales in Santa Ana? All right. I see a couple hands in the room. If you didn't know this, Santa Ana used to kind of be the hub of like the activewear, skatewear, streetwear kind of industry. And so all of these brands had warehouses like blocks away from each other in Santa Ana. And so uh, at the end of the season, in order to get rid of all their old inventory, uh, they would kind of have these like speakeasy sales. Like if you knew, you knew you would show up and you would line up the night before around their warehouse. And when you would walk in, they would give you a wristband saying that you had permission to be there, but then they would give you a trash bag. And the moment you had that trash bag in your hand, everybody made a mad dash around the warehouse, just stuffing the, wear stuffing the trash bag full of t-shirts and jeans and shorts, whatever shoes, whatever it is they were selling. Because like a t-shirt you would buy for $30 in the store at these sample sales, you get it for like three to five bucks. And so you would just buy stuff for yourself and family and just whatever, whoever would fit in the bag. And so you would leave with one trash bag. I would see people would leave with like 10 trash bags full of stuff. But like there was this urgency to an opportunity that people were, were, that was like catalyzing people to do something. It was catalyzing people to action, to fill these bags, to mad dash around this warehouse. And so when I see Paul, when I think of Paul giving this, this, this charge to this young uh, Colossian church, it's, it's something very similar. He's not saying like, hey, make the best use of this deal that you're getting, but rather he's saying that if you, Colossian church, have said yes to following Jesus, you were once dead, but now you were alive. You were once blind, but now you see. You were once in darkness, but now you are in light. You have a restored relationship with the one that created and spoke all into being. And now he wants to use you to reveal him to the outsiders, to the people that don't yet know who Jesus is. They haven't heard this gospel of Jesus being presented to them. And this is what stirs me every single morning when I get up when I orchestrate my life, when I orchestrate my meetings, when I know who I'm going to spend time with, who is it that God that you have put in contact with me in contact with that I might through relationship reveal you to them, that I might put you on display and that every single opportunity, every single interaction that I have, that that is the core of that action. That is the core of that interaction that we are putting Jesus 
on display. And so for us as a church, when you think care, you might think, yes, we're going to help people pay rent. We're going to help people put food on the table. We're maybe going to put them in a hotel room, help them find a shelter. Yes, we're going to do all of those things when we have the opportunity to do them. But to let you know, but to let you guys know, there's a lot of great nonprofits and other organizations in the city that do that. But when I think about this church actually caring for the people in our circles, caring for the people in our neighborhood, caring for our partners all across the globe, the greatest way that we can care for them is by accurately and clearly revealing Jesus to them. Not that they might just have a meal on the table or they might just have a roof over their head, but they might experience the life-changing transformation that only comes from a relationship with Jesus through his gospel. So when you think care here, it's like, yes, we want to do those other things, but the best way that we can care for our neighborhood, the best way that we can care for this world is by putting Jesus on display and taking advantage of every opportunity, buying up the time to reveal Jesus and his goodness. Amen? I'm going to invite up Katie now, and she's going to talk about our growth ministries. We actually may or may not have gotten these shirts at one of those sales that Mitch talked about. So, I mean, they're really powerful, impacting kinds of things. So, um, yeah, my name's Katie Smiley, and I oversee the growth ministry area of this church and um, a really amazing group of people that are committed to help this big room that we sit in today become a smaller place where you can connect with other people um, and can, instead of just sort of sliding in and sliding out, moving in quietly, unnoticed, um, to being in a community of people that know you and that you know them, and you're able to be the fully functioning um, body of Christ that is building itself up in love that Darren talked about earlier. Um, this body, if you look around, we can't know each other, right? We can't all be invested in each other's lives. This room is big and it can be overwhelming. Um, and for some of you, that feels perfect. You're not interested in really investing in the lives of others or having them know you. But for others of you, you sit here on a Sunday and you think, how will I break through this kind of anonymous crowd and get to a place where I can have real Christian community and really follow Jesus with other people in a meaningful way? Um, in this room, we can't all be using our spiritual gifts at the same time. We can't all be developing the things that the Spirit is, is pouring into our lives. But in a smaller space, we can be doing that. We can have teachers. Um, we can have people praying for one another. Those using the gift of discernment and their um, acts of worship and praise together. We can do that in smaller spaces. And um, bearing one another's actual burdens as opposed to just thinking about the burdens of others in a big room like this. Um, I can remember sitting in a space much like this as a young adult in my 20s and exactly how I described, shuffling in and shuffling out. I thought about investing in community. I thought about being in other people's lives. I thought about them knowing me. But instead, I just kind of opted out for quite a while. And I can remember in a service much like this, a friend for life, but at the time, a complete stranger to me, introduced herself 
and invited me to her home group and even offered to pick me up. Um, And she did for six or eight weeks until I finally said, I think I probably can drive myself. But when she first asked me, I couldn't drive myself. I found lots of different excuses to not be invested in community. But it was in that small home group that I discovered the joy of studying God's word with other people, that those words leapt off the pages to me and became real and alive. It was in that home group where I learned how to help somebody else move and how to make people dinner when they didn't feel well and how to serve with the heart of Jesus and let other people serve in my life too. It was a really impactful season of my life, not just because I made friends, but because I figured out what it was by the power of the Holy Spirit to be transformed into living this life that we read about in scripture, where the saints are serving one another, they're breaking bread together, they're praying for one another, and they're being invested in each other's lives. That was really special to me. And um, as the Shepherd of Growth Ministries, along with these amazing friends of mine, that is our heart, is to give you these big experiences together where we worship Christ and he's revealed in us, but also a smaller experience where he's revealed in you personally and he's revealed to us as a group. Growing up spiritually happens when we learn to push through hard circumstances and have places where we can ask really hard questions and wrestle with real real things of the faith. In the book of James, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing." Maybe you're in this room today and you're thinking, perfect, complete, mature, no way. (laughs) That does not describe me. And let me just exhort you and encourage you that it's in community that those things begin to take place in your heart and in your life. You can't grow up in Christ sliding in and sliding out. And we, as a church, can't grow up in Christ without you. Do you understand that? We're doing this together. So I'm um, privileged and enjoy this process of watching this happen in your lives. And it's what um, is one of the biggest passions of my time here at Fullerton Free and in my life as a whole. I want to introduce Billy Tarka, who's going to talk about connections. Thanks, Katie. Good morning, church. I'm reintroducing myself since I haven't been here uh, for a while. My name is Billy Tarka, and I serve our church as the Shepherd of Connection Ministries. Uh, That ministry is essentially a way for people to know about our church, to know about who we are, and to become a guest at our church, and then navigate the process of uh, being a guest into family life in our church. And so, as Darren mentioned, I had the privilege of taking some time away this summer on a sabbatical. It was a great time to be away and rest and renew. And out of all the experiences that, that God gave me during that time, there were a couple that stuck in my mind as it relates to the values behind who we are as a church, why we exist and how we carry that out, not just in connection ministries, but across the board at the church here. Here's the first story. During the second week of, uh, of the, my sabbatical, I took my family down to Puerto Vallarta for a uh, few days there for some fun by the ocean and I woke up uh, on the third morning uh, hoping to catch some waves surfing with my son Brayden 
And it was a gorgeous morning, and as he and I got down to the beach and we began to paddle out, we noticed just one single surfer in the water. And uh, we know that that could mean great fun for us, just having really nobody out in the water. But at the same time, I was anxious about the one guy in the water, um, that maybe he wouldn't look favorably on us crashing his party. There was this sort of unwritten etiquette of rules at certain surf spots, and we were strangers to this spot. And so I assumed that he was a local, which he was, and that this was his spot, and that maybe he didn't want some uninvited guest coming and ruining his perfect morning. And so after a quick hello, I, I offered a sincere apology for um, invading his territory. And to my surprise, he looked at me and he said, man, the ocean is for everyone. And I thought, what a great thing. As if to say to me, you're welcome here. That this isn't just for me. This isn't my place. There's room for everybody amidst this vast sea of accommodation and joy. And so he's saying, come and enjoy this, enjoy this with us. It was a perfect example of how I see church. The second story is this. A couple weeks later, uh, I had the opportunity of going with my wife to New York City for a few days. It was our first time there, and so it was our first time getting to go to Broadway. And there we got to see a performance of Hamilton for the first time. And what an incredible experience that was for us. While I had seen the TV version and knew of some of the songs in the show, um, there was one song and one line in that song that stopped me in my tracks. And it was a song uh, that was sung by the Aaron Burr character after his duel at the end of his life in which he regretfully sings, I should have known that the world is wide enough for Hamilton and me. That hit me hard as I recognize how easy it can be for me, and if you're like me, for us, to polarize, to take sides, to make enemies of people we don't even know or assume the worst of people, to have suspicions and judgments or a tainted attitude towards people that are different than us. And so it was a great reminder that the church is wide enough for all of us. And these two stories are just really real-world reminders of long-standing biblical truths. As we turn to scriptures in Romans, Paul addresses the church in the latter chapters with messages of, of unity and love and acceptance. In chapter 15, he clearly speaks to the strong believers, the mature believers, encouraging them to take care of those who are less mature or are weak in their faith. He clearly is defining this vast spectrum of those who might be a part of the family of God. There's the strong and the weak and, and everyone in between, right? Later in the chapter, Paul makes reference to Jews and Gentiles. In other passages of Paul's in scripture, um, there are contrasts, inclusion of men and women and slaves and free, circumcised and uncircumcised, Jews and Greeks, all peoples, all tribes, all nations, right? In the context of the broad spectrum of people, Paul asserts the importance of welcoming each other, putting each other first and caring for one another. Verse 7, we'll put it on the screen as a reminder that such is the way of Jesus. It reads, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Other translations of welcome use the, the words receive or accept. We are to accept and welcome and receive as an act of love because that's who Jesus is. That's the way of Jesus. That's what he does, and that's the example that he sets for us. So when we talk about the revelation of Christ to us, in us, and by us, this is the type of people we're called to be, people of love and of acceptance. These are two driving values for us. If we ask the question, who's the church for? Well, it's for everyone. 
The gospel is for everyone. Salvation is available to all. God created all and desires relationship with his creation. And so, yes, the church exists for you and for me and for so many others who've yet to join us, right? It's not just for church people. This isn't an exclusive country club or it's not our private surf spot, right? It can't be. That's not what Jesus intended, The church, which doesn't have walls in the first place, has to be about people who are also outside of these walls. To all types of people who are in need of Jesus. People of different backgrounds, different ideas, different needs. In terms of if the church is for everyone, then let's ask the question, if the church is for everyone, how do people get here? How do the people find their way into this? And I'm going to suggest the same answer. It's by everyone. It's the love and care of everyone else. It's not just having an attitude of welcome, but it's actually putting that into action. It includes peacemaking and intention, mutuality and service. We don't just passively accept one another. It's not about begrudgingly tolerating one another. We actually engage in community with one another. We put our faith into action. We bless. We serve. We look people in the eyes We extend to them the same love and grace that Christ extended to us. We make sacrifices for one another in order to be together. Because we are all part of God's family to his glory. So church, let's remember that the ocean of God's grace is for everyone. And the boundaries of his church are wide enough for all of us. That's what we're after. That's who we are. Here's Jeff Lilly. Thank you, Billy. Um, a few years ago, quite a few years ago, there was a movie that was out, um, Alien, and it started a whole series, the Alien series. Some of you saw it. It was a science fiction thriller, and it basically was astronauts, space travelers who would go to different planets, and uh, at one place they've landed on a planet, and uh, while they're exploring what happened to a ship that was so fully destroyed, uh, there, there was an alien creature there, and the alien creature somehow got inside of one of the astronauts and planted eggs or had a baby or whatever it was. But now there's an alien down inside this astronaut's stomach, and it begins to incubate, to grow, and to pull all the nutrients out of the individual. The person's still alive, but this thing is inside of them. And then once it starts getting to full maturity, it just bursts out of its belly and started chasing all the other astronauts around until it killed them all. And, well, there's spoiler alert. I should have warned you. Um, everybody dies. But also I would tell you that if you haven't seen them, don't, don't bother. Don't go necessarily to watch the Alien series. But this concept, when we stop and say, well, we want to talk about Christ in you, some of you could be going, Oh, no, 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 no. I don't want that. That sounds kind of weird. And this is bizarre. And I need to remind you that in in actual nature, in creation, there's a lot of parasitic things that God invented and created that literally do this to other things in nature. I won't go through the whole list. But this isn't something that just exists in science fiction. It's something that happens. But that's a weird thing because what's weird about it is that thing that comes inside in the the alien movies and in nature is something that ends up destroying completely the original host. 
it kills it. It destroys it. It doesn't leave anything behind but death and destruction. Whereas what happens when Jesus comes inside of us, it's a completely different issue. In one case, the alien comes in and a monster bursts out. And in this case, Jesus comes in and begins to deal with the monster that is us. It's an issue that we have to stop and say, I know when left to myself, this doesn't turn out well. That my pride, my selfishness, the things of me kind of make mistakes all over the place. And along comes this idea that when Christ is revealed to us and we allow him to come inside of us, he begins to transform us. He begins to change us and to change us away from what we might have been on our own into something that looks far more like Jesus. In Philippians 2, there's a passage where literally um, Paul is talking and he says, this is the very thing we're supposed to do. In Philippians 2, uh, verse 3, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. This part that we would think like he thinks, that we would act like he likes, comes about when we take his thoughts, his person into us, and he begins to transform us away from what we would normally do on our own. So I get the privilege of working with the support team here at the church and the support team is facilities and finance and the security team and it's a lot of stuff that's behind the scenes. In fact, as you look at this ministry team, they go around and do great ministry and they leave a mess behind them. It's just a wake of things where you can go, oh, that's what happened last. Here it is. And there's a team at this church that goes around and quietly picks up after them and and sets up things for the next one to come in and do it just that way. What I want you to know is that the support team has Christ in them and they're being transformed. I don't want to imply they're not. What I want to imply is that's a, that's a pivotal concept for us is this idea that we would do that with humility. That we would live our life because Christ has whispered to us to see others as more important than ourselves. This concept doesn't work just with the church staff. It works with all of us in our friendships, in our families, in our marriages. That the idea that if I let that monster inside of me to lead, my marriage isn't going to do well. But if Christ is in me and his mind is in me, he begins to transform me to think of others as more important than myself. And it starts to come out sounding like love. And it's transformative, not just of me, but of others as well. This is why this church is focused on the importance of who Jesus is. Because if we're going to do anything in a, as a church, it's going to be because Christ is in us. And then we become more like Christ. I want to finish this out with a, a passage out of Mark. And Jesus is talking to his disciples. And in verse uh, Mark eleven forty two. It says, and Jesus called them, his disciples, to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you, but whosoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. 
For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That this idea that with Christ in us, as Christ himself did, stopped and said, you know, there's a part of me that does need to be put to death. But there's another part of what Christ does in us that brings life and love and light. And we only get it when Christ is in us. Uh, before you guys go, I want to get a picture. So come in here really quick. I was just thinking about, I was, I was paying attention to what you were saying, but I was also thinking I want to get a picture. So ready? I was doing both. Okay, ready? Here we go. Yeah, because I know you're not going to wear this again. Here we go. Okay, good. Thanks, everybody. Um, it's, it's a great blessing to serve with people you love and to work with friends and to be serving Jesus in togetherness. I, I feel very blessed to serve alongside these people. And, and what I want you to see, two, two things before we're done. The first one is that there's something really beautiful about a small group of people working together, and that's not exclusive to us. There are all kinds of smaller groups. Katie talked about that. But this is who we want to be. We do want to worship in a big room like this all together, but we also want to be broken up into smaller groups where we can get things done for the kingdom of God and glorify him. And if you're not currently involved in a smaller community, we encourage you to figure out a way to get connected because there's a real blessing in serving alongside people that you love, who know you, and that you know. Now, I'll say this as well. If you're thinking today, and I hope you are, if the Spirit of God is moving in you and you're feeling a sense of, like, I want Christ to be revealed in me personally and in my church community, and you're wondering whether or not that's happening over time, I will tell you, you can't assess that uh, on your own. You can't assess the progression in your sort of transformation into Christ as a Lone Ranger. Like, you can look in the mirror all day long and you're not necessarily going to get a good read on it. The way in which we can tell that we're being conformed to the image of Christ over time is in community. Because these people and other small groups have the ability to look at you and go, man, I see Jesus in you. Or to say, you know what, I think maybe we missed the target a little bit on that one. And so there's this great sort of iron sharpening iron, this great collaboration, this great sense of each other pushing one another towards the image of Christ. What you've heard from the team today is that as we think about Christ revealed in us, we're talking about relationship and we're talking about helping. We're talking about urgency for the gospel and intimacy and loving welcome and servanthood, all of these things. And that's not an exhaustive list are the things that are central to who we are as we think about the fact that we want Jesus to be revealed to us so that then Jesus is revealed in us.